Will you take your Bibles this morning and let's go back where we've been the last uh, few weeks, back to Exodus. We're in chapter 2 right now as we work our way through uh, looking at the life of Moses. I don't know how far we'll go, but this certainly is appropriate, and boy, did this ever fall at the right place at the right time for us. Reasons, reasons to trust God. In the darkest of times. There's so many times you find people that begin to question God, run from God, turn to other places. And yet I think about what we looked at in Sunday school. Jesus said to the disciples, the twelve, will you go also? And Simon Peter said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That's what we mean by our living hope that we have in Christ turning to the Lord and not from the Lord. Monday night, Monday afternoon, when we got the call about Rachel, uh, Brother Dale and Isaac and I ran down there, and when we uh, saw Michael and Jody, as they were weeping, the first thing they said was, this was her day. This was her day. Psalm 139 says, that God has measured out a number of days for each one of us. And we're all going to face death. And it's all not up to random chance. It's up to the sovereign plan of God. And when that happens, and when that happens to you, when that happens to someone that you love, what's going to be your response? And when I looked at this, I thought how incredibly similar what we've been looking at as we've been going through this first part of Exodus. And just to kind of stir our thinking and our memory, because we ought to think. Don't just listen. Think. Think. In the times that we are reading about now, Joseph had been sold into slavery. He had been unjustly accused of rape. He was thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, all of those years, he's thinking, he couldn't help but think, about those dreams he had had where his brothers, the other children of Jacob or Israel, had bowed down before him. How does that happen now? How do the promises of God ever, ever show up when you're in prison in in a foreign land, in an Egyptian prison, And you're a Jew. How does that ever happen? But as we know, the orchestration of God, a butler and a baker fell out of favor with Pharaoh, were thrown into the same prison with Joseph. And remember, they had dreams. Joseph interpreted the dreams. And then later on, when one of them was released, Joseph said, don't forget me. But he did. Can you imagine just the despair of waiting and wondering how in the world, how in the world does God fulfill his promise? How does he get glory out of this? How is there anything good that happens in this situation? And then one day, he's called out of prison to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, and then he is the one that administrates the food supply during a time of famine. And Joseph's brothers come for food, not knowing that Joseph is there. And eventually, Joseph reveals himself, 
And Jacob and the rest of the family are brought to Egypt where they're saved, where they're fed, where they're given the best of the land. And all seems well. But God's people were never, ever designed or destined or promised Egypt, were they? They were promised the land of Canaan where Abraham was. And God said, your descendants will dwell here and this land will be yours. This is your inheritance. It doesn't look like it now, does it? For a while, things were good in Egypt. The Jews were welcomed there. They were honored there. But then we read in Exodus, Then there arose a king who knew not Joseph. And everything began to change. And they began to put the Israelis into slavery. And even worse than that, you remember they commanded the midwives, Whenever a male child is born, kill him. And last week we talked about the denigration of a culture and what happens in that. Now it gets even worse when Pharaoh sees that the midwives fear God and are not obeying him. He tells all the people, all of you, whenever you find that male baby, throw him in the Nile River. Now the Nile was a river that they needed. The Nile was a river that was provided by God or Egypt wouldn't exist. Egypt is a little strip of land on either side of the banks of the Nile. And the Nile provided, of course, a way of commerce for ships. But it also irrigated their land. It also would flood the land of Egypt every so often. And the silt from the river would fertilize the land. So the Egyptians began to worship, among other things as well, they began to worship the Nile. And this is the river where they're throwing little Jewish boys into that river for their own destruction. The Nile became a place of death. And as Israel is enslaved for not a year or a decade, but by this point that we're going to read about for 300 years, three centuries older than our nation is, generation after generation After generation, after generation, after generation goes by, no end in sight. No help, no word from God, no prophet, no deliverer, no miracles, just working, living, dying, working, living, dying. Working, living, and dying. No hope in sight. But the people of God don't understand that there is something happening behind the scenes. God is sovereignly at work and God is preparing to send them a deliverer in those dark times. Exodus 2. We're going to read about the birth of Moses All these years later, and notice what it is that God does. The Bible says in verse 1, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as his wife a daughter of Levi. That's Amram and Jochebed, we're told in the New Testament. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child... 
she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch to make it waterproof, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. When the daughter of Pharaoh, or then the daughter of Pharaoh, came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when they opened it, they saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. That should have been a death sentence, shouldn't it? But it wasn't. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Isn't that a beautiful story? A story of hope in the midst of darkness. When we talk about this being a dark time, this is a time where someone conceives, they go through the nine months of the pregnancy, they have a child, and to their horror, it's a boy. And what happens? Thrown into the river. Can you imagine the weeping, the wailing, the grieving, the questioning? Can you imagine people saying, where is our God? Where is the God that made the covenant with our ancestor Abraham? Where is he? <clears throat> How can this be good? How can this be right? There's gloom. There's death. There's destruction. There's grieving. There's mourning. There's questioning. There's darkness over the land. Yet God is at work. And why should anyone trust God in a time like that? Because this was not an isolated incident. This is affecting the entire Hebrew race. If it weren't you, it was your cousin. It was your brother. It was your sister. It was your aunt. It was your uncle. It was your mom or your dad. Nothing but tears and grieving and darkness and loss and sorrow and destruction. And there's no relief. There's no hope. There's no word from God. What in the world is going on? And who is Yahweh? And why should I trust him in the midst of all of this? Well, there are four reasons I'd like to bring to your attention because they are very appropriate to this time and appropriate to you. And if they're not today, they will be tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, maybe in the next year, the next decade. You're going to need this, so pay attention very closely and let it feed your soul. Let it feed your soul. 
And the first reason you should trust God in the darkest of times is because God never forgets his promises. And I repeat, never. It had been hundreds of years since God had given this promise to Abraham. And the Abrahamic descendants are now in a foreign land and in slavery and they're being oppressed and their children are being murdered. Where is God? When the Bible tells us that there was a man and a woman of the tribe of Levi who married and then they conceived a child, that, my friend, is no accident. You know, I get a little tickled at people that say sometimes, we're going to get married and we're going to make a baby. You don't make anything. You don't create anything. It's God who gives life. Life comes from God, and that's why abortion is murder. That's why euthanasia, murder. That's why all of these things, we stand for life. Because God is the author of life, and men and women and boys and girls are made in the image of God, and human life is sacred. And wherever you find a culture in decline, you find a cheapening of human life. Life is sacred. And there's a baby that's going to be born. Can you imagine in those days before ultrasounds and all of that, you don't know what your baby's going to be. You can't plan to whether you're going to paint the nursery blue or pink or anything. You have to wait. It's an exciting time when the baby is born normally. But can you imagine the apprehension of a mother? Please, God, don't let it be a boy. Please, God, let it be a girl. Please, dear Lord. And can you imagine as the midwife delivered that baby and the mama's question... The father's question, what is it? Can you imagine how Jochebed's heart sank when the word was, it's a boy. It's a boy. What are we going to do? The midwives are under an edict to kill the child. Now, as we saw last week, they were disobeying that command because whenever the law of man contradicts the law of God. We ought to obey God rather than man. She hid the baby for three months. You ever try to keep an infant quiet? How do you do that? I thought about Jews during the Holocaust when they would be hiding in someone's home. How did you keep a baby from giving you away. Well, that's the way they were in this situation. Hid for three months. And after that three months, then, of course, she goes into action to do something else. But I want you to think about this. This is the fulfillment of God's promise because God cannot lie, the Bible says. His word is true. And God has given his covenant, his word to Abraham all those years before. And he told him, I'm going to bring your descendants to the land. He even told Abraham, they're going to sojourn in a foreign land for a long time, but I will bring them back. You can be at peace about that, Abraham. They will come back. 
And what the people of Israel, what the people of God don't know is that in the birth of this baby is the birth of a deliverer. This man is going to be used by God to bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the freedom of the promised land. Because God never forgets his promises. He may take longer than you were expecting. He may not do it in the way that you thought. He may not do it in the time that you thought. Because this is the most difficult of circumstances. God, if you're going to raise up a deliverer, why didn't you do it under another Pharaoh who knew Joseph? Why didn't you do it when times were easier? Why didn't you do it when they weren't killing baby boys? Why did you bring him in to the midst of all of this? Why now and why in this way? Terrifying time. But God always has a plan. God is in control. And God never forgets his word. He never forgets his covenants. He never forgets his promises. Never. Trust that. You may not see it in your lifetime. In Hebrews 11, it talks about people like Abraham who died not receiving the promise, but they still believed in the promise because God never fails to keep his word. Now, secondly... I want you to think about how God often does some of his greatest works in the times of death and destruction, heartache and darkness, those type of things. Can you think of a time when things got horribly, horribly bleak, when they got dark, When there didn't seem to be any light, there didn't seem to be any hope, there didn't seem to be any answer. And then all of a sudden, God, in his love and in his mercy and in his power, he broke through in amazing ways. Ultimate example, I think about the disciples. When Jesus was arrested and they fled. When Jesus was tried and there was Peter and John that was They're witnessing the trail, but Peter denied him. And then later we find John at the cross with Mary. But that's not much out of all the people that Jesus had fed, out of all the people that Jesus had healed, and even out of the ones that Jesus was closest to, they scattered. They were hiding. They were afraid. You get a lot of insight when you see the men on the road to Emmaus when they are talking to Jesus himself and they're saying, well, we thought that Jesus would have been the Messiah, the Deliverer. There's so much doubt, so much darkness, so much fear. Are the disciples going to be arrested next? Are they going to be executed? What's going to happen to the followers of Yeshua? What's going to happen to them? But it was in the midst of death and darkness and destruction that Jesus Christ became our living hope the conqueror of death hell and the grave the one that brings eternal life to us and as God so often does he lets hopes and visions and dreams die so that coming out of that will be things that we never imagined Abraham was told one time, change your name, Abraham. The father of many is what your name means. And he didn't have any children. Can you even begin to imagine Abraham going, 
<sighs> Finally, the embarrassment of somebody saying, Hi, my name is owner of many goats. What is yours? My name is the father of many. Oh, what's your natural question? How many children you have? None. Abraham's thinking when God says, We're going to change your name. Finally. And what does God tell him to change his name to? From Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of nations. Oh, Lord, can you make anything worse? Abraham is given all of these promises. And finally, Abraham has a son. But Ishmael's not the one that God has anointed. What's he going to do now? Sarah, in terms of reproduction, is as good as dead. But in a miraculous way, the son of promise, Isaac, is born. And Abraham is so thrilled. In Isaac, and out of Isaac, descendants are going to come that according to Genesis 15 are going to bless the entire world. A reference to God's Messiah coming through him until the day that God says... Take your son, your only son Isaac, go to the mountain and offer him to me there. And in the midst of all of that darkness and confusion and despair, can you imagine what it was like? The book of Hebrews says, Abraham did it by faith, believing that God could raise him from the dead in order to fulfill his word, in order to fulfill the covenant. It's a beautiful thing. And it was in that that so many times we see ourselves and, uh, or we see Isaac as a picture of Christ. But actually, the picture of Christ is the ram caught in the thicket that was offered in Isaac's place. And Isaac got to live because of the death of that innocent ram, remember? And that's a picture of our redemption. And it was out of the darkness and out of the death of that vision in the obedience of Abraham, a great truth was taught and something wonderful happened. It was when Joseph was told that he would be the one that his brothers and everyone would bow down to. Then he's thrown into a pit. Then he's sold in slavery. Then he's thrown into a prison. What hope is that? The vision had to die. It was when the disciples thought, our Lord is going to be the king and throwing off all of these Romans and the government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. All they could see is just grandeur and glory. And so they asked, can we sit at your right hand or your left? And you remember he said, are you able to walk and to be baptized, immersed in what I'm going to be immersed in? And oh, they said, we are able. We are able. And here we find that when Jesus is arrested, they run and they hide. All of their dreams are dead. All of their hopes are dead. And what happens out of that? Christ is raised and everything changes in all of that. I want to say in life, you're going to go through some things when your hopes are going to die. Your dreams are going to die. Doors are going to be slammed shut. Things are going to come to a screeching halt. Where is God? What is he doing? And can I remind you from this story as well as others? It is when the vision dies, when the dreams die, that something happens. Jesus put it like this. If you take a kernel of grain 
Nothing happens unless it's put in the ground and dies. Then the stalk comes up and you actually end up with more than you planted from that single grain. But it has to die. And it's a picture of our life as we have to die to ourselves. It's a picture of dying so that Christ can be seen in us. It's a picture like that alabaster box that had to be broken before the fragrance could come out. And boy, through Rachel's life, as well as her death, have we ever seen the fragrance of God coming out. Her story is being told worldwide. Secular as religious and religious outlets alike. And more is going to come. Why? Because it's in the times of death, darkness, destruction that God often does his greatest works. How does this relate to Moses? Well, the Nile was the place where all of the bodies of those babies had been placed. It was a place of death. And Jochebed takes that little boat, puts her baby in it, sets it in the bulrushes. And it's in the place of death, in a place of no hope, in a place where babies die, that Moses is rescued and everything changes. Somebody say amen. And in your darkest hour, in the time when it seems the most hopeless, watch for the miracles Watch for deliverance. Watch for God to do something that you never expected. Because all of a sudden, here comes the princess. All of a sudden, with her entourage, she comes down. Can you imagine as Miriam, Moses' sister, is watching? Because this is the daughter of evil Pharaoh. This is the daughter of the cruel, heartless man who didn't value life, who hated the Hebrews, who had enslaved their people and had ordered the destruction of all of the babies. What's going to happen when Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter comes along? This can't be good. This can't be favorable. This can't end well. And Pharaoh's daughter does the horrific thing. She sees the little basket. Floating in the water. She saw it. It was hidden there, but she's seen it. She's come there to bathe. She's right there by it. She saw it. Can you imagine Miriam holding her breath? Can you imagine how her heart all but stopped? Can you imagine the fear? What's going to happen? They open up the basket and the baby's crying. And Pharaoh's daughter, for some strange reason has compassion on the child. Think about that. The sovereign grace of God working through an idolater. Pharaoh's daughter wasn't a believer. Pharaoh's daughter thought her daddy was a god. She is from the family that wants to destroy her peop uh, Miriam's people. And yet she becomes the one that rescues. Because folks, I want you to know in the dark times that we live, as well as the dark times there, God is 
as sovereign as he ever has been, and evil becomes the servant of a holy God. May we add the word unwilling servant of a holy God? And it was through this that this woman who didn't love God, didn't serve God, didn't care about anything that was going on. She was not a pro-life for the Hebrews advocate. She was not doing anything like that. She was part of the system. She was in it. And she shows up there at the right time, at the right place, in the right situation. And what does she find? The very baby that is going to grow up to be the deliverer of Israel the deliverer of the Jews from the bondage of Pharaoh, from the murder of Pharaoh. And what happens? Irony of ironies. The deliverer of Israel grows up in the palace of Pharaoh, their arch enemy. Boy, does God have a sense of irony? Think about that. And evil becomes the unwilling servant of God. And you're going to find in your life that as you go through some things that crush you, you're going to find that there's going to come a sweet fragrance out of that crushing that would never have come out unless you had been crushed. You're going to find that God works in your brokenness in ways He never works in your wholeness. And you're going to find that the very things you thought were the worst and the most evil are going to put things in motion that are going to bring a spotlight to Christ, a spotlight to faith, a spotlight to the promises of God, a spotlight to the hope. Peter told us being ready to give an apologia, a defense of the hope that lies within us. Is anybody asking you? They're asking Michael. They're asking Jody. They're asking Daniel. Why? Because many times it's when you get crushed that the real hope and the fragrance of hope is shown. And when people get a whiff of it, what is that? I've never smelled anything like that before. That's incredible. That's phenomenal. That's amazing. And it is. But it's not us. It's Christ in us. Like a rose that is crushed and the fragrance comes out. It's Jesus in us. And oftentimes while we pray we never have to go through these things. And I sure hope I never do and that you never do. But rest assured in whatever it is, there's a fragrance that will come out of a believer that will make people say, why? How? What is this? This isn't normal. This is weird. What's going on? And your words will be God-honoring, God-glorifying words that will bring people to salvation that will glorify the Lord and give hope and faith to others. And we look and we say, how could this happen? How could a person do this? How could God allow this? And all of those questions. You're going to torture yourself and drive yourself crazy if you focus on the unknown. 
when there's so much that we do know doesn't always satisfy but it'll keep you moving the right direction because God's given us you ready for this enough in his infallible inerrant all sufficient word he's given us enough now here's the hope we'll understand it better by and by yeah one of these days it's going to make sense one of these days we'll see how it all fits together but until then my heart will keep on singing until then with joy I'll carry on till my eyes my eyes behold the city till the day God calls me home press on Evil has not and will not win. It is an unwilling servant of God, just like Pharaoh's daughter was. Then here comes Miriam. You want a nurse? Happen to know someone, someone who can feed this child, care for this child, and love this child. When you think about that, did that not take an awful lot of boldness? To step out of hiding and identify yourself and identify with that child and say, I can find you a nurse? Why don't we kill the one who is able to nurse the child? Obviously, she gave birth to the child and she has defied the law of Pharaoh. But oh, God in his mercy, has it all worked out where Moses... He's going to be well fed. He's going to have his diapers changed. He's going to be bathed. But oh, don't you know that Jochebed would hold that child close and sing the psalms of God to that little baby. And as that baby began to grow, she would tell them the stories of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. How did Jochebed and Amram know to do this? Hebrews 11 says, by faith. Where does faith come from? We don't work it up. We don't think it up. We don't conjure it up. Well, the Bible tells us. Faith comes by hearing of the word of God. I believe God told them what to do. I believe all of this was given to them so they knew exactly what the will of God was. It was more than maternal instinct. It was more than paternal instinct. They were certainly in there and God uses that. But they did it, Hebrews 11 said, by faith. They knew that God had given them a special child. They knew that they were to defy this law. They knew, they knew <coughs> the protection of God would be upon them, and they didn't fear the king's law, the Bible says. And then Moses is given everything he needs to grow up and to be the deliverer. You know what that tells me? This is number four. God will provide everything you need in any situation to be everything he has ordained you to be. God didn't need a better economic time. God didn't need a new Pharaoh sitting on the throne. God didn't need a revival among the Hebrews. 
God didn't need the Egyptians to all be converted to do this. Oh, wouldn't it be great if our whole country came to know Christ? It would be. But if everybody in the nation is pagan except us, that doesn't stop God. Well, we need a different culture. We've got a culture of death, a culture of perversion, a culture of immorality, a culture of division, a culture of lies. Well, I wish we didn't have that either. But that doesn't stop God. Sometimes we say, if only God would heal me, then I could serve him more. If only God would give me a fortune, think of what I could do for God. If only I had more talent. If only I had better friends. If only I had a better church. If only, if only, if only, if only. And these verses remind us that just like Moses, whatever you need in whatever situation, he will supply that need. And you have no excuse not to grow. No excuse not to be sanctified. No excuse not to serve. Because our God provides everything we need to do whatever it is that he has ordained for us to do. And God provides a nurse for Moses. And God takes him and puts him in the house of Pharaoh. God prepares him for leadership. And God teaches him all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And God uses all of that to make the baby in the bulrushes the mighty deliverer of Israel from slavery and from bondage. So I want to just reiterate that. Where are you today? Are you in a dark place? God never fails to keep his promises. Never. You say, well, in my life, look at all the disappointments. Look at all the darkness. Look at everything that hadn't worked out. I just can't handle it. God does some of his greatest works through death and destruction and darkness. You say, well, there's so much evil and I'm encompassed by it. What, will I, what am I going to do? You wait and you watch because it's God who keeps his word and does great things in the darkest of times will make evil an unwilling servant of God. Watch, watch and see the deliverance of your God. And understand this wherever you are. Even if you're taking straw to make bricks and mortar and you pray and you cry out to God and God says, I'll hear, but not in your generation. I'll answer, but not in your generation. Well, I guess I'll just be miserable and never have any. No, God will provide everything you need to be the believer that you need to be in the situation where he has assigned you no excuses. All your needs met according to his riches and glory. Got to quit pouting. Got to quit bellyaching. Got to quit finding reasons to quit. Got to quit looking away. My advice is, when you find yourself in that situation... Run to the faithful God 
who saved you and delivered you. Run, 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 run to Jesus. There's no other place to go. God keeps his word. Amen? Hold on to his hand, to God's unchanging hand. And that's what we've been seeing this last week through the Freeman family. And I want to tell you, it's not because they're special people. They're ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God. So are you. To God be the glory. Great things he has done, is doing, and will do. And we get to be a part of his sovereign plan. Understand it? No. It's too big for us. But an integral part of it? You bet. God has chosen you for such a time as this. Wherever you find yourself. And we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Hallelujah. Victory is in Jesus and Jesus only. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father, as we think about these dark overwhelming times that we face and not just in the obvious situation people who have children that are astray <coughs> people that are being persecuted on their jobs and in their families people that around the world are in prison cells for doing nothing more than what we're doing this morning people I think of a friend of mine who wrote on Facebook that his nephew was murdered last week. I think of things like Mama Lou just having a fall that at this point is life-changing. I think about all of the things that happen in life, all of the things that people are going through. And I want to cry out to them, don't you see? Can't you see? There's hope. I see people that go through a tough time and they run from church. They run from the word. They run from God. And I want to cry out to them, please, don't you see? There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else where you're going to find peace and satisfaction and joy and hope and comfort. Oh, it may not be immediate, but it's there. There's no other place where there's any solid ground you're running in to quicksand, to your own destruction. I want to grab them. I want to help them. I think about people that are running into the fire, and I want to grab them and pull them out. <coughs> oh, God. In our brokenness, in our weakness, in our darkness, in our helplessness, Rescue the perishing through us. Teach us how to live. Teach us how to die. Teach us how to serve. Teach us how to minister. Teach us how to grieve even. But to do it with the hope of God in our hearts. So that others ask us about our hope. 
we can tell them, Jesus Christ is my living hope. Comfort us and strengthen us. Heal us and bless us. But above all, teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, we pray and we press on by grace. Amen.